Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And today we are continuing our series in the book of Joshua. Yeah. Uh, we're we're trucking right along, man. And it's uh, it's been a little while since you guys have heard from us, but we are excited to be back and continue this series. Um, but yeah, so today specifically, we're going to be looking at chapters 6 through 12 in Joshua. Yeah, this is where the, uh, what is the word? The fan hits the flame? I'm looking for a, a euphemism. The pedal hits the metal? I don't know. Anyway, okay, yeah. there's something Let's in there. Let's not talk about stuff hitting the, fl- the fan. <laughs> I like pedal to the metal more. Okay, okay, sure, sure. The rubber meets the road. That's, that's the one it, where I'm looking it. at. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, because as we've laid out so far, uh, God is telling Israel, hey, we're going to enter the promised land, be close to me, be strong and courageous. Then they do. They cross over the Jordan River. They're there. But as we've said before, the problem is there's also other people there. <laughs> yeah. And now we have to figure out what to do with these people. And that's where it becomes really complicated, uh, both for Joshua and them, because they have real enemies in front of them that they have to figure out how to face, and it could mean life or death. And also yeah. for us, because... That is a thing that's so foreign to us. I mean, not not war necessarily. Obviously, we've experienced that to some point in, in our lifetime. But the, specifically, the kind of war uh, that's taking place here is, is yeah, something where religious war is not something we're extremely yeah. familiar with or comfortable with. <laughs> understandably, very comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, Julie and I have this conversation on and off. It always comes up. So, it, yeah, I'm interested to kind of talk through this stuff today and, and kind of talk about, okay, well, why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that is, yeah, it's a big struggle. But let's let's kind of just jump into it now. So we're opening uh, with probably one of the more famous battles mm. in the book of Joshua. I mean, I immediately think of VeggieTales every time I read this, the two French peas hanging off the roof and... <laughs> yeah, 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 I uh, I wasn't a big big Veggie Tales guy. Like, I no? just wasn't something we did a lot growing up. But yeah. well, I'm sure I like plenty of people can relate to that story. Yeah. Especially um, puppet guys. My my experience with Jericho prior to uh, reading the Bible <laughs> was it was a really cool name, and it's what I would name some of my video game characters as a kid when that was an option that you could have. Huh. I don't know that so. I've ever heard uh jericho used as a name before i probably picked it up somewhere i mean not just from the city but there there was probably a cartoon or something but i was really into that but that has nothing to do with the story uh (laughs) so we'll we'll go there so the beginning of this section of jericho which today we're we're going to walk through chapters 6 through 12 is set up with these two stories that are opposite of each other really uh the first one is jericho and the second one is AI. Uh, there's a, probably a better way to say that. It's literally the letters A and I, and that's probably what I'm going to roll with uh, yeah. from here on out. If you speak Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, obviously, we should start with Jericho because it comes first. And most of us know the story here, like something about walking around for a long time with horns, and then eventually they blow and like the walls fall down. Um, but there, 
there's more going. I mean, obviously that is what's going on, but there's there's more to talk about, I suppose. Uh, and it starts right at the beginning of chapter six, verse two. God says to them, "I have given Jericho into your hand." And the reason it's important to bring that up is because it takes us back to what we've talked about this whole time, which is that this is really God's battle, not Israel's, right? And so this whole picture is making that abundantly clear. The fact that Israel is not going out with archers or uh, warriors or I don't know what kind of military. Guys, I'm not a historian. I don't know what kind of military equipment they had back in the day, but they're not leading with the the best guys that they had. They're like, hey, let's get the priests. Let's carry the Ark of the Covenant. Take some ram's horns. Like, it's like putting out the, like the, uh, I'm not Catholic, so this is going to, not the choir boy, an altar boy. It's like, here, send out the altar boys with uh, a trumpet. And yeah. <laughs> and this is how we're going to fight the battle. Uh, obviously, the How terrified do you think those people were? Like, uh, okay, yeah. Joshua, <laughs> that's what you say. Seriously. Uh, and it really, the whole point there is to demonstrate like they had to have faith. Yeah. They had to believe God was actually going to do what he said he was going to do, or they are uh, out of luck. There's a yeah. word that you could slip in there, but they're just out of luck. Uh, and so that's the point. The, f- the reason he's sending out priests and the Ark of the Covenant instead of warriors is because this isn't reliant on Israel to win the battle. This isn't even Israel's battle. Right. This is God's right. battle. He's the one who said, I'm going to give you this land. And he, he says, I have given Jericho into your hand. So it's really up to him to do it. Now, there's a couple other things I think it's worth pointing out. They walk around these walls making noise for a long time. And then, so I think there's also something very practical going on there, which is they're giving people opportunity to repent. Yeah. Right? Because we have to think like, they're about to go destroy a whole city, which as we already kind of hinted at, and we'll get into more later, is a little difficult for us to deal with. But I think it helps knowing that they didn't come in the middle of the night and surprise all these people. They yeah. were like, hey, God is here. Here's what he's going to do. And they all had the opportunity to repent and believe. We've already seen Rahab do this, right? When the spies right. come to them, she's come to her, she says... Yeah, I I know what your God has said he's going to do. We're all afraid because we think he's going to do it, and I believe. Uh, yeah. And so she repents. And that's, I think, one of the things they're hoping for, uh, or that's, that's part of God's plan is he's giving that opportunity before it all goes down. Yeah, that's cool. I had, I had not thought about it in that way before. Um, so that's really good to point out. And uh, yeah, I... <laughs> just wrapping my mind around this is, is difficult sometimes trying to think about like now, okay, what is Rahab thinking? Seeing them mm. walking around the building, blowing trumpets and stuff. Jokingly, I'm sure it's, it's like, Oh man, well, I joined these guys. So I'm in trouble. But then <laughs> on the other hand, you know, she's probably, if she has the faith that it seems like she yeah. does based on that, that prior passage, she's, 
It's probably getting prepared. If you believe that he's about to do, that's about the most ominous thing I can think of. Yeah. (laughs) is a bunch of dudes walking around just quietly. I actually, I I forget. I don't have the past pull up right in front of me. I forget in my study if they were, if they were talking or they were quiet. I know they blow on the seventh day, but like, I just, that seems so like Hollywood movie to me to see these dudes just like marching around, just waiting (laughs) and waiting. Um, anyway, okay. Um, so the point I'm making here is Israel has a victory here, not because anything Israel did. It's mm-hmm. because of what God is doing. One, he's fulfilling his promises to the Israelites. And also he has devoted Jericho to destruction. He said that. And we'll get into that again, deeper later about why exactly these people are devoted to destruction. But we know in general that God saves, but we also know mm-hmm. that some people don't believe and that the end for them is destruction. So it's good and right for God to fulfill both of those things. If he overlooked sin that was unrepentant or not atoned for, he wouldn't be a, he wouldn't be a good God. So at the very least, let's, let's set up that for now. Yeah. And it's that, God's devoted these people to destruction, and as sinners, that that's right. And, yeah. and if you know what right is unjust. And so a couple other things that back up that point. One, Israel is not allowed to take any spoils from this war because it, it's yeah. not about them. It's not about conquering another people, becoming more powerful, any of this stuff. They're not allowed to take because this isn't what this is about. This is all about them being strong and courageous, believing in God, staying close to him, and that's the only way that they see victory over the other nation. Yeah. So that's Jericho. Which brings us to AI. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. AI, as you might have guessed from what we've said so far, is a completely different picture from what happens in Jericho. It's actually a really interesting story. This is one of the ones that as I was reading it, I was like, we should talk more about Joshua. Uh, because this is this is very intriguing. So what happens with that, after they've defeated Jericho, the next place they go is AI. And the same thing's going to happen here, right? They they need to, to defeat this, this people, this city, so they continue to come into the Holy Land, the Promised Land, rather, and live there. But something that happened in Jericho that we see at the very beginning of chapter 7, is that this dude named Achan, which again, if you're Hebrew, I'm sorry, uh, is, is not, not probably the way you should pronounce that, but Achan, A-C-H-A-N, takes something that he wasn't supposed to take, something that was supposed to be devoted to destruction, he keeps it. And then when Israel goes into battle at Ai, they're defeated. And they're kind of confused, as you would yeah. imagine. They're like, hold on, that was pretty miraculous. We didn't have much to do with that. That was a God thing. So why didn't God come through for us this time? Yeah, it almost puts this fear in them, like, is God on our side? Right. Well, they literally question that at one point, right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they're so unaware of, of why this would happen, especially after a victory like Jericho, where they did... Uh, not that they didn't do anything, but God was in control of that situation the whole time through. Yeah. So Joshua, especially, as you can imagine, being the leader is like, hey, God, 
what happened here? <laughs> why yeah. why did this not work out? And it's revealed to him that someone has taken something that was devoted to destruction. And if they don't get rid of it, if they don't do what they were supposed to do with it, if they're not faithful and obedient, then they will also be devoted to destruction. So I think this is this is really interesting because they they took one thing that was devoted to destruction and God kind of takes it all the way and it's like if you don't get rid of that you your entire self like all of you will be devoted to destruction. Yeah. So this is kind of one of the pieces where I want to maybe stop and think about how this applies to us because all all these stories mean something obviously in and of themselves but they have very real implications for us who are in this more spiritual warfare and how we should act. So if you think about this as sin, right, this is disobedience. There's this one piece of disobedience within them that God says, if you don't destroy that, you'll be devoted to destruction. Hmm. Okay. I have a little bit of work here to do. A couple things. One, we're completely relying on Jesus to cover all our sins, right? We cannot cleanse ourselves of every little evil. But on the other end of that, on the other end of being saved, putting our faith in Christ, and now walking in his, his way, right? Now trying to be more Christ-like. Yeah. Jesus doesn't abolish all of those things. He doesn't say, hey, go do whatever you want. Kill people, you know, any, you know, steal from people, any of these horrendous things. That's not Jesus' commands. He basically says, hey, you get rid of the sin in your life. Yeah. And when you understand that the that the reason is you need to get sin out of your life because it's destroying you, it actually becomes really compassionate. It's actually not, hey, Jesus is trying to take all of these things away from you that you like and you shouldn't have to get rid of. It's, hey, if you keep that poison... <laughs> It's going to kill your whole body. Yeah. And I think I think we know this to be true in like our normal lives, like people who this they have this root that's bad and it just continues to grow and grow and grow into more bad fruit. I mean, you can pick a million different examples of lust or envy or whatever and, and see the ways that these could grow. We talked about it a lot in our Ten Commandments episodes. You see the ways that these grow and destroy a whole person. Well, and I think Jesus confronting the adulterous woman uh, mm-hmm. when everybody's getting ready to throw a stoner, basically, and he goes, you know, he ha- yeah. who has no sin, throw the first stone. And then after that whole ordeal, nobody throws a stone, and then he says to the woman, go and sin no more. Right? Yeah. Like, he has, he's forgiven her of the sin, but he's still telling her to not do it anymore. Just like... Yeah we're in that same boat. And I think as Christians, we're also constantly trying to become more like Jesus and Jesus doesn't sin. Um, Mm. Again, that doesn't mean that we will ever get to that point, but it's something we're striving for in all of this. Yeah. All right. That's the best we can do in the time we have. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I want to get you thinking as you're, you're reading through your Bible, you're listening to stories like, okay, this, this is a story. This is a real thing that happened, so it means something there. But also, it has a million implications for us today as 
as principles that we should live by. I don't know if you noticed, but the whole time we've been doing this podcast, we've been in a park. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's like people on bikes riding by. We're like sitting kind of close to the fountain. It's pretty chill all in all. It's It really is a nice ambiance. And I don't know, Tanner and I have really enjoyed kind of taking up this <laughs> side gig as buskers. I mean, we're we're in a park like you would see any other guy playing guitar looking for money. Uh, I don't want to make us sound like we're too <laughs> desperate. I mean, yeah, we're but, definitely not desperate. <laughs> but we're in a park recording our podcast. Uh, and, you know, each week we want to take it place to place uh, just to kind of liven things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's been good. But for those of you who aren't here in real time... If you want to support us and you want this thing to keep going, we need your help. And so we've set up a virtual tip jar for you to be able to do just that. So while you may not be like this tour group that we see passing right here or even that lady over there feeding the pigeons, if you want to contribute, do it through the link in the description. And that's how we keep getting to do this. Yeah. And who knows where we'll see you next week. Okay, so again, God is emphasizing this point. These conflicts aren't about Israel becoming rich or being like an empire. They're about God keeping his promises. And part of that means that Israel has to be obedient, right? I'm going to keep my promises. Trust me, that's going to happen. I need you to be strong and courageous. That's what we said early on. What that means is, Stick with me. Be close to me. And in this case, it means, we don't always like this word, but it means be obedient. Yeah. Stay right here, and I will keep you safe, and I will bring to fruition the things I've said I'm going to bring to fruition. And also, as we've said, as we've said before, Joshua does a really good job of illustrating that the whole point of getting back to the promised land here is, is this idea that we still hold on to, which is getting back to the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was this only place in which we walked with God and there wasn't sin and shame that separated us from him. But since then, we've never really experienced that to its fullness again, and we won't until Jesus returns. But the act of the Israelites going into the promised land is a foreshadowing of that event. And so... When you start to think of it that way, you can see the way Achan, looking looking at something uh, beautiful that he's not supposed to have and coveting it, is just like Eve looking at something beautiful and appealing and taking it when she wasn't supposed to. And that caused caused separation. So again, that applies to us in the same way. Like when we want things that God does not want for us... It, it leads to separation between us and him. And we should know, or I hope you know, that we're going to find our most fulfillment and joy in relationship with God, in closeness to God. Uh, and that's why we need to be strong and courageous to avoid all those things. And so we can continue to live in his perfect love. Yeah. In the experience of his perfect love, I mean, you know the you know the the things I'm trying to juggle here because it's all true, but you have to order it in the right way because you're still loved by God even when you mess up. We know that to be true. Jesus has already covered our sins, 
But that doesn't mean that sin doesn't still hurt you if you don't get rid of it. No, that's true. There's there's consequences. Yeah. We're gonna yeah. put that stamp on it and move on. That's the best the best I can do today. <laughs> if I if I come back and think about it, become a scholar, I'll write a whole book on it and I'll it'll go. sound better. <laughs> but uh, so we we talked about that idea of obedience. So how how do they overcome this issue that's taking place now? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Now that Achan has taken this thing, he becomes devoted to destruction, essentially. Mm. Because of his sin and his unrepentance, they take Achan out and he's destroyed, for lack of a better word. You can read it in the story. And then Israel finds victory because they've they've gotten rid of the thing that uh, was causing enmity between them and God. Yeah. So that kind of opens up more of this can of worms that we know we're we're quickly approaching which is man is that really the only answer is to kill a dude now we're going back in history right like we can take this and apply it to us present day pretty easily because it's all spiritual but now we're going back in time and saying oh but they physically did that and that's tough that's hard Uh, yeah. yeah it's it's hard and but i think those two words give us a little bit of a handle for it right all these things that are true of us now spiritually like we're still in a spiritual war um the the new testament says that all over the place uh specifically in that we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and blah blah blah. but back then it was a very real physical thing like we're talking about uh, this spiritual reality, but eventually physical again, don't get me wrong, of Eden coming back to earth. But they're talking about a very real thing of like, this is land in front of us that we are entering in order yeah. to live with God. So they had to physically deal with it. And it's not just, man, it's it's a bit of a mind boggle because it doesn't mean we don't physically deal with things now, right? Like you you may physically remove alcohol from your home if you have a problem with alcohol, like what, so yeah, on and yeah. so forth. But that's spiritual corruption there. And this is spiritual, physical corruption with more of the emphasis on the physical than the spiritual, at least in the story. We see yeah. the physical elements of how the spiritual corruption is playing out. And right now, we generally talk more about the spiritual elements of physical corruption. That's the, be- that's the best yeah. handle I've gotten to, to put around it. Uh, and it's not perfect. And we could, we could write whole books about it. And we could talk about it for hours and hours. But in some ways, it's a different season of what God is doing. And it's not the season we're in now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So that it makes it very clear, I think, that this isn't this isn't um, prescriptive for us today. Like, hey, if, yeah. if you know your son sins, well, take him out and kick him or whatever. Like, I don't know. That's not right, what we're right. doing. Um, that that's we're more worried about the heart and the spirit and the soul than than that. But and even that breaks down because right because we believe in we believe in jail. Some people believe in in capital punishment, those kinds of things. So they're both in view in both places. Uh, But we are in, we are now living a spiritual reality of what was more so a physical reality of them at the time. 
Yeah. Which hopefully that doesn't just leave you more confused than yeah you were well, when we started. I, I just wanted to clarify too. It almost feels like when we say that, like it's a lesser than, uh, but it's not right. Spiritual yeah. warfare is still real. It's still active, you know. Oh sure. Um, and there are eternal consequences for, uh, for certain things for not believing. Right. Uh, maybe yeah. Aiken isn't the best example of of that, but. Yeah, the spiritual side of things is very real. Is all I wanted to. Yeah, and and the more I talk about this, the more I feel like I'm going to continue to to be confusing and maybe not helpful. But <laughs> I think if we if we set Aiken aside for a second, we see this reality in a bunch of other ways. Like Israel was the the ethnic family of God, and now we're a spiritual family of God. So you see these juxtapositions between Old Testament and New Testament in a bunch of other ways, not just when we're talking about sin and warfare. And so in some ways, I am not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying Joshua is just an allegory and it wasn't real, it didn't happen. I think it is. But in some ways, we can now read it as an allegory because it means more than it meant than it means. It means more than just take this dude out and deal with him. It means it has other meaning to it because we now live in, in some of the spiritual realities that reflect these physical realities. Well, let's move on from that. I, I, <laughs> did, my, I did my best. <laughs> let's keep going. Oh, sorry. Actually, oh. I'm, I'm wrong. I didn't do my best. There was one thing I wanted to say. Okay. Uh, to wrap up the whole Aiken section. Um. As I already said, God grants them victory. There's even some cool uh, symmetry between the way uh, the Israelite army comes from both sides to destroy AI, the same way the Red Sea crashes in from both sides mm. uh, to destroy the Egyptians who are chasing the Israelites, which we've kind of said Joshua's the new Moses this whole time, and I, I always get excited about those parallels when, when I notice them. Uh, but the thing I want to take here and kind of wrap up with is Jesus fulfills in a much better way all of these promises, right? Maybe that's what yeah. I've been trying to get at all along. Maybe <laughs> maybe the real thing was the friends we made along the way. Uh, no, anyway, Jesus is the better Achan, right? So in this story of the Israelites, one man's sin could have devoted the entire nation to destruction. But the opposite of that is also true in that one man's righteousness, Jesus's righteousness, the only person who lived a completely righteous life, can be applied to the entire spiritual family of God Yeah. now post his life, death, and resurrection. So yeah. Jesus is a better Achan. Right, instead of sinning and cursing everyone, kind of like Adam and Eve, <laughs> he's the new Adam who is righteous and blesses yeah. everyone and takes their curse upon himself to be defeated. Yeah, I love it. So uh, those first uh, two battles are like they just show a lot, right? They show us yeah. that God is faithful. Um, when we are faithful and uh they're they're two of the bigger stories in there but then we move into it's mm, a good question 
Yeah. Uh, you have to even understand what you just said in context, right? He's faithful. He's faithful no matter what. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. No, no, no. Uh, what you're saying is That's- true. Like, if you just look at the story like and read it black and white, you're exactly right. Like God is faithful to fulfill his promises to Israel as long as they are obedient to him. That is that's yeah. an accurate assessment of what just happened. Uh, but you can't then take that and apply it in, in a bunch of ways that it's not true. So. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God is always faithful uh, to what he has yeah. promised. We are almost faithful. never. That's why we need yeah, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, we have those, those two big battles. And then we move into this, like, it just feels like series of battle after battle. Um, mm-hmm. Which there are yeah. a lot, but there's still little nuggets in there that I, I think we take away um, as we read yes. through them. Yes, it's they're definitely worth reading. We're gonna because we want to spend a little more time here in the second half of the episode talking about this idea of like, okay, why is God destroying all these people? The, uh, kind of the bigger problem that we just dealt with with Aiken. Yeah, um, it, it will cover these in summary. But chapter nine is the Gibeonites. It's yet another place that, that they have to deal with. But the Gibeonites are actually really tricky in that they lie about who they are. <laughs> and they curry favor with the Israelites, with Joshua specifically. And he makes a covenant with them, um, which I, I think we're going to talk about more in our, in our extra episode this week, right? I think this will be interesting to tease out how all that plays out. But at the end, the, the moral there is that they, they believe in God, like Rahab did. They know God's faithful to fulfill his promises, and so they avoid destruction because they're repentant. Yeah. Uh, but then in 1011, we see some other Canaanite kings who are kind of like, hey, maybe we, maybe we work together, maybe we take these guys out, uh, and that doesn't go well for them. <laughs> they are rebellious, they are enemies of Israel, and they're destroyed. Uh, and then in chapter 12, we kind of have this, it's like a summary list of, of all the stuff Israel's done, all the, all the people that they have defeated in battle, and that sets us up then for the next section, which we'll talk about next week, and that is, what do we do with all this land now? We've kind of conquered it and made it our home and now what happens so yeah that was just a brief summary review of it definitely go go read through it uh on your own own if you haven't already yeah but then all of that just kind of brings us to this question that we've been sort of sort of jumping into sort of dancing around like Mm -hmm. what do we do with this understanding of like just all this destruction that's taking place specifically what do we do with the destruction of the canaanites uh, yeah, God's God's wiping a through. whole people group off the earth. Yeah. Uh how are we now to understand that? Okay. We, we you're like you're right. We've covered it in the story some up to this point, but I think it's helpful to maybe break it out as a topic and think about it that way. Mm. Um uh, and I want to first say this is a completely legitimate question, right? I don't I don't want to like shame anybody or be like how dare you. Um yeah. I I think for a modern person to look back at this, it's difficult to understand. And if we try to take this situation and put it in a modern context, it would almost be possible to understand a way in which we would see it as right or just. Yeah. yeah. For example, if a country starts a war now for religious reasons, we're probably against it, uh, and rightfully so. 
And then there's the the big component that I kind of already said, which is this can almost be seen as like an ethnic cleansing, right? Like this, like Nazi stuff where it's like, hey, we're going to take this entire people group and, and persecute them and try to get rid of them. And yeah. the world, I think, pretty unanimously agreed that's not cool. Um, we're not good with that. And again, rightfully so. Right. <laughs> so for us as Christians, how do we look and say, kind of seems like God did some stuff we're really not cool with. How do we deal with that now? Yeah. So let's try to, as best we can, look at what's happening here. First of all, I think we need to look at the specific people group that we're talking about. It's the Canaanites uh, in this in this section, right? That That they are driving out of the land that God has promised them. And if you read the broader biblical story, we we learn a few things about the Canaanites. Um, they are completely morally corrupt. I think it's in Leviticus 18, you can kind of see some of this, where they are about as debased as they can be. Any which way that they can find to sin sexually or, or anything like that, they're going to they're gonna do it. Um, so there's not much of redeeming qualities to them. Right. But again, and I think one, one really good example of that is their practice of child sacrifice. So as a means of worship to their gods, they sacrifice children. And I think, I think if anything, that's a good thing that most of us can be like, yeah, that's not, that's not cool. Uh, We should probably do something to stop that, which is sometimes why we understand wars being started today, which is like, hey, these these people are doing something bad and they need to be stopped. And that's sometimes where you'll see these allies come up against a, a modern country. And for the most part, people understand it and agree with it. And so the Canaanites, well, the long and short of it is the Canaanites are evil. And they're unrepentant. And this whole thing is God's act of judgment against them. And that's hard for us to deal with in the same way that hell is hard for us to deal with. Yeah. Right? It's not fun. It's not something we revel in. But it is a reality that we need to understand as warning to ourselves and also as, you know, at least currently, some sense of evangelistic inspiration to go out and tell people like, Hey, listen, this is a real thing that can happen that I love you and want you to avoid. So let me see if a couple things to help put this in place for you. One, God also does this to the Israelites at times. If you read the rest of the new, the old Testament, you're going to see cases in which God uses other people to, deliver judgment on Israel for their sin. So it's not just Israel as a nation going out and killing everybody else. There are times where Israel themselves are disobedient and debased, and God then inflicts judgment on them, sometimes even using wicked people. And that that's a reality that we live with today too, I think. Uh, that that kind of points back to the commander of the Lord's army, right? Like, yeah. who's who are you fighting for, us or our adversaries? Neither yeah. <laughs> fighting for God. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. If it, if if this were about Israel as a country going out and being an empire and defeating everyone else, that's about Israel. 
That's not what this is about. This is about God. And so God can deal out his judgment on the Canaanites using the Israelites, but we also see that happen in the other direction. Uh, Not necessarily Canaanites, but other people groups uh, against the Israelites. I mean, we actually have seen it with the Canaanites because we just saw the Battle of AI not go well for them the first time. Right. Because they had taken something that was devoted for destruction. Okay. The big idea being that this is God's right. God created everything. And so he can do with it what he wills, right? He, you know, the, the Romans passage where it's like, who's the, who's the clay to say to the potter, you know, why do you, why do you make one vessel for, for destruction and another for, for good? And that's tough. It's just a tough deal to deal with. And I don't know that I'm going to make it any easier for you. It's probably something you're going to have to walk through. But it is his right, and it's very, very important. We don't separate that from our understanding of God's goodness. We don't, yeah. we don't grapple with this reality and immediately forget everything else we know about him, which is that God is good. And one of the only ways God can be good and just, obviously, is that he destroy evil. Right? I would not want to worship a God who didn't destroy evil. Yeah. So, yeah. The biggest. Sorry. I know I'm not adding much okay. to this. <laughs> it's okay. You're, you're hanging that, yeah. me out to dry uh, <laughs> with the very, very difficult part. Uh, you're welcome. So anyway, we'll, we'll we'll keep moving. The next thing I want to say is, I don't actually. We know for a fact, based on the biblical account, if you believe it, that. God didn't actually destroy every single Canaanite. It isn't some genocide where he got rid of 100% a complete ethnic community. So we, we have to assume that some of the places where it does use that language, that he totally destroys, or that, that they shouldn't leave any survivors, or they got rid of everything that breathed, is is in some level hyperbole, right? Yeah. Uh, the, we can't spend too much time on this, but the, Isra- the, um, the writers of this account are more concerned with telling you the story than they are with giving you some analytical, like, you know, there were a thousand people and they killed exactly 992 of them. Like, they're not yeah, as worried yeah. about statistics, um, but yeah. they're telling you this was the intent that we go through and that we destroy these people in a way that this is completely dealt with, if that makes sense. Yeah. And now we're not just saying hyperbole because we want it to sound, Because we want to. Yeah, yeah, because we want to. Like, there's specific evidence that shows this, right? Yes. Exa- yeah, and that's exactly where I was going. Um, it's not just like I'm uncomfortable with those words, so I'm like, hey, let me tell you they're not true. Uh, we see in the biblical account that it's not necessarily true. Um, in Deuteronomy 7, which is not Joshua, but in Deuteronomy 7, we see some similar uh, commands to destroy people, but th- those are followed by commands to not intermarry with them and not do business with them. It's like, well, hold on. If they're destroyed, how am I supposed to marry them? Uh, or how am I supposed to do business with them? Uh, and so we we can kind of piece together that that's probably not a literal uh, in that sense that we understand it of destroy every yeah. single thing. 
in Joshua, we see stories like uh, Hebron and Debir in which there were supposedly no survivors. And that's later shown to be untrue. So that's Joshua 10, I believe, so there's no survivors. And then 15, we see these places and we see that people are living there. Yeah. So there are still people left. So that's something you can go dig into if you want to look into it more. Honestly, I will say with this whole episode, uh, we pulled a, I pulled a decent amount from Bible Project. I think they have a pretty good um, dealing with this in their video on Joshua. The ESV Study Bible has a really good like kind of essay in the intro to Joshua that I think is helpful to begin to grasp some of this. And then I, I, I don't know about specifically on the, on this piece, but also uh, pulled a decent amount from uh, the guys over at Spoken Gospel who kind of walk through uh, the book of Joshua in some some devotional things. And they also have a really cool uh, spoken word piece, I guess. Which, what do we call that? Poetry thing? Video? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I don't know. Check it out. So there are certainly more resources you can go look into. Those are both... Uh, the Bible Project and the ESV one, pretty accessible resources you could read in like 15 minutes and kind of get a better understanding probably than me rambling here. But there's also entire books written on this. I mean, <laughs> you could spend years studying just this topic. Yeah. So I've did the I've done the best I can to equip you <laughs> to <laughs> to maybe have a way in which you can begin to grapple with this and think about it. Um, so that maybe you don't have to spend years uh, uh, wrestling to with it. it all out. Although, yeah, <laughs> although maybe it'd be worthwhile. So to finish wrapping up here, there's there's some hyperbole going on, and we also know that some of the Canaanites repented. And we've said this a couple of times. Rahab, the Gibeonites, we know that they weren't destroyed because they were repented, and Israel takes them in. Yeah, and then. The last thing I want to say, which I've, I've hinted at a few times, is this is limited to a unique point in time. This was only about destroying the Canaanites. This is not about destroying anybody we think is sinful whenever we feel like it. This is a very specific command from God. And then we see in Deuteronomy 20 that th- they are explicitly commanded to live at peace with other nations. So it's not Israel begins world domination. Yeah. It's a very specific situation, which I've done the best I can to explain. <laughs> and just that, right? Yeah. And apart from that, live peacefully with other people. And that's what that's how we live today, right? Yeah. There is gonna be very real sin in our lives and in the world that we need to try to combat as best we can usually in a spiritual way but that, but it, it may look physical hunger you know homelessness it may it may look like trying to help physically um but we're also called to live peacefully with people around us we're called to love our neighbors we're not called to attack them <laughs> yeah yeah that's true i i think my biggest for for this section of the book yeah my biggest hang up has always been in that area of god killing all these people uh and how do i if somebody asks me about that how do i deal with it Um, yeah and i i think for me it really has come down to this idea of of god's holiness right Mm -hmm. god is holy and perfect and justified in what he does and while 
maybe a non-believer, uh, that wouldn't be the first thing I would tell them. Uh, I think there's a, a process in talking about some of this stuff with non-believers. Yeah. Uh, it is something that to a Christian that that's, that's where my conversation would start. Sure. And I'll just add lastly, I didn't really plan on, I didn't really think about this in terms of like me telling you the listener how you might have a conversation with your friend, but I I will just say I have often felt defensive or worried of like this person's going to ask me questions I don't understand. One that's okay, say you don't understand and then and then try to figure it out and continue to have those conversations with them. But two, I think even if you have somewhat of an understanding with this one it's difficult. And I think you could admit that and I think you can even say it's unfortunate that Canaanite had to be destroyed. We love the stories of Rahab and the Gibeonites because they repented. And I think it's yeah. the same thing you should want for your neighbors today is for them to repent. That's why we evangelize. That's why we tell people about the faith we have in Christ is because we actually don't want that. The same way they don't want that, we don't either. We, I, I think that it would be good for as many as many people to repent as possible. I think that's always our hope as Christians because we know how good Jesus is when we want other people to experience that. But that's the problem with uh, God giving us some level of free will is you can't make people do things they don't want to (laughs) do. Awesome. Well, guys, I hope that you've enjoyed the episode. Again, like Tanner said, look forward to next week uh, where we start to talk about what do they do with this land now? And, uh, (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll, we'll follow <laughs> Maybe up Maybe it'll there. be a funner. Now it's like, oh, we have a house we get to decorate as <laughs> yeah. opposed to uh, what is all this stuff in our house we have to get rid of? Oh. Awesome. Well, we hope that you guys, uh, again, enjoyed it. We're looking forward to a couple more weeks in this book of Joshua and then heading into some new series from there. We also got a lot of cool interviews coming up, so keep listening. Let us know what you think. We always want to hear your thoughts and your feedback on the show. Um, And there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. Yeah. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's at Bible and Stuff at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. With Instagram, it's underscore Bible and Stuff. (laughs) I hate that we have to make the exception there, but that's what it is. Uh, And as always, you can also reach out to us directly by emailing us at hello at BibleandStuff.com and let us know what you think. Love to hear from you. See you guys soon. Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.